Welcome to the Global Seventh Adventist Church podcast. Here we share the spirit-filled messages brought to us from the pulpit each week. We hope you feel inspired, uplifted, and edified by the study in the Word of God. We would love for you to join our family, either our eFamily online or in person at Goebbels, Michigan, at 9.30 a.m. for Bible study and at 10.50 a.m. for worship service every Saturday. God bless. Our scripture reading today is in the book of Revelation. Revelation 2, verses 1 through 4. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things say he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot hear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love.
Thank you so much for the special music. It's one of those instances when you realize that instruments can talk. And what a great joy when this talk is praising God. Thank you so much for a wonderful children's story. Uh, we do have a cat. I can join you in a lot of stories about these creatures. And I also would like to say a special thank to the um, offering appeal. Tom, thank you so much for uh, bringing your family here. And it was one of the most uh, heart-touching uh, offering appeals I've ever seen. Thank you so much. Um, uh, there was a, a phrase uh, during the children's story about flying tigers. And you can... <laughs> Uh, be only amazed at the imagination that the kids have. Uh, you would uh, probably see a lot of interesting creatures in heaven, for sure. Well, um, we are starting a new year, and I decided to start the new year studying the book that prepares us most for the coming of Jesus Christ. And I uh, went into the book of Revelation, and I saw there a message to the seven churches, messages to seven churches. And I said, that is exactly what we need to do. We need to get a more depth study in the messages so that we can learn from these messages something that will prepare us better for the coming of Christ. Now, during the World War II, an enemy submarine approached a fleet of ships in, uh, ships in the North Atlantic, and the captain of one vessel spotted a white mark of a torpedo coming to uh, his vessel, and he realized he did not have enough time to maneuver somehow to avoid uh, that torpedo. And um, he said, all I can do right now is just pick up that loudspeaker and tell everybody this is it, and that's what he did. And on his ship, there were literally hundreds, hundreds of young men that were designated to uh, come to the, uh, and, and fight in the World War II on the North Atlantic coast uh, over there uh, in Europe. And as he was, uh, as he said that phrase, boys, this is it, he did not see that, you know, that big ship was accompanied by um, some uh, of the smaller ones that were called destroyers. And one of those destroyers also saw that mark of a torpedo coming, and the commander of that destroyer commanded uh, to, uh, like, full speed ahead. And what that destroyer did, he stood in between the torpedo and the big ship. And of course, like, after the explosion of a destroyer, nothing was left. And that ship disappeared within seconds. The commander of that big ship with a lot of young men on that ship, he said, the skipper on that destroyer was my best friend. John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. People ask, why is God called Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end? It's because God is love, and he laid his life for us. The title for today is Alpha and Omega, 
beginning and the end. I'd like to start um, uh, studying these messages in the book of Revelation. And uh, these messages to seven churches, they have a purpose. You probably know that these messages were for certain searches in, uh, churches in Asia Minor, and they were actual in those days when the, those uh, messages were written, when the book of Revelation was written. But also, these messages, they correspond to the historical periods of our church history from the times of John, the apostle that wrote the book of Revelation, until the time when Jesus comes to take us home. Now, we are living in the last days of human history, and according to the word of God, Jesus will come, and the book of Revelation says he is coming how? He is coming quickly. He is coming soon. When we read the Bible, we have a book that prepares us the best for Christ's coming. Jesus wants to come and take us home, but also Jesus wants us to be prepared when he comes. Uh, let's open our books at uh, um, Revelation. Uh, uh, let's uh, open our Bibles in Revelation. And we will start reading chapter 1. We will read a few verses from chapter 1, and uh, then we will uh, read a few verses from chapter 2. Revelation 1, 11 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in the book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Jesus wants us to be ready, and you know, we will start studying these messages for the seven churches and see how these messages can prepare me now for uh, the coming of Jesus Christ. So first church is the church of Ephesus, and before we get into that study, let's uh, get uh, um, to understand these messages in reading chapter 1, verses 17 through 20. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and who was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Jesus Christ is saying here that he is the first and he is the last. He is in the beginning. He is at the end. And the church in the times of Ephesus, uh, uh, Jesus wants to let them know he is with them. And we that live today, Jesus has a message for us. And he says, I am with you as I was with of them at those times. Now, he is the one that knows where we are, knows what we do, and knows where we are headed. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our desires, knows our pains, our aches. And that is why we read in verse 18, and I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. 
and I have the keys of Hades and of death. Jesus is the prince of life. He says, I have life eternal, but also he knows what death is because he was dead, and that's what we read in verse 18. But now, is Jesus dead now? No, he is alive, and he says, I am alive forevermore, so he will live forever, and to everyone that believes, he grants that life eternal in him forever and ever as well. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 2 says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the golden lampstands. God knows where you live. God knows what you face. God knows everything. And what did this mean to Ephesians? Well, to start with, Ephesians historically have been a place, a center of idol worship. There was a temple built for Artemis or Diane, the goddess of fertility, and that temple itself was one of the wonders of the ancient world. The cult to this goddess was uh, filled with immorality. This uh, place was uh, filled with people with a bad reputation because the temple itself had an authority to grant forgiveness and pardon to anyone that claimed it in the premises of a temple. Many, many people that would commit crimes and was sought after would run to the territory of a temple and ask for uh, asylum in the territory of the temple and would be granted that. So that gives you an idea that that place held a lot of criminals in there. This place was notoriously known around uh, the world as a very bad place. And that's how the description of these people was made by the uh, uh, people that lived in those days, by the historians. And, uh, the description was that these people were immoral uh, and, and these people were evil at all times. And now living in that place, you might think there is no hope for anybody that lived in there. But God was able to obtain one of the greatest victories of all times because he had people in this place that were faithful and pure to Jesus Christ, their Savior. In chapter 19 of Acts, you will find more facts about that place. That place was also, uh, it, it had a reputation of a uh, um, place that uh, practiced a lot of magic arts. And, uh, you know, w all of this kind of adds on to the picture that uh, people that lived in Ephesus, they lived in a wicked land and somehow, Christ was able to have people in there that were faithful and pure. And this is how we know that uh, one of the first missionaries that came and witnessed to people that lived in Ephesus were Aquila and Prisquila. They were uh, the first missionaries that uh, started out the church, and it started small. Just a few people that were, um, uh, you know, were really interested to know the message of Jesus Christ. And the church grew uh, over time. And then Apollos, another uh, great um, worker for Jesus, came 
and worked there as a Bible worker. And uh, later on, the church grew rapidly there. And that's how Paul ended up there. And he spent there three years, one of the best missionaries of all times, whose works we study on this until this day. Paul worked there for three years. And later on, he wrote an epistle. The epistle is called uh, Letter to Ephesians. Yeah. Now, uh, and it's uh, also uh, known that uh, after Paul left, the church grew and grew more and more up until the point even that John, the one that wrote the book of Revelation, had to go there and strengthen that church and work in that church. And also Timothy joined him later on. So this church was a um, a very uh, active church. It was a very strong church. Uh, they had people to instruct them uh, that were very close to the Lord Jesus himself. So they basically have received the message from her hands. Now, uh, that is amazing to me how God is able to find his people and have his church in one of the most wicked places on the planet Earth. This thing says, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, the one who walks among the seven lampstands knows where we are, what we face, and what we feel. It may not mean a whole lot to people that do not face tribulations now, but people that go through struggles now, when they read that God knows what they face right now, it means the life itself to them. Verse 2 says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. In the church of Ephesus, there was a certain group of people that called themselves apostles. And these people, they have found, as they thought, a perfect spot in between Christ and the world. Do you remember Jesus says, do not love the world, right? That's what Jesus says. But these people said, well, we found a perfect solution for that. And they said, with your body, you can do anything you want. You can participate in all kinds of evil, immoral things with your body, it's okay because that's your body. It's flesh. But as long as your spirit is good, that's all it that matters. That's what they thought. That's what they taught. And were very successful in that. What do you think on that? Is that right according to the word of God? No, it is not. No, it is not. God calls us to purity. God calls us to life in his word. And according to his word, uh, word we are to keep our lives pure before him and uh, you know uh, these people that lived in Ephesus uh, they kind of uh, uh, found this perfect place as they thought that they can do anything they want with their body as long as their spirit is clean it's because they had to participate annually in many many holidays that were dedicated to that goddess of fertility the cults that they had to practice were very immoral in their nature. And uh, that's why these people, they tried to kind of appease the world and the gospel 
And of course, you cannot appease this too, because if you are with the Lord, you are trying to stay away from immorality. But these people said, no, it is okay if you are immoral with your body as long as your spirit is okay. Do you think something like that is being taught today as well in the world? Unfortunately, even from the pulpit, that's what we hear once in a while. As long as your heart is right with the Lord, you can do anything. That is not right according to the Word of God. Now, people that lived, Christians, I should say, that lived in Ephesus and were supposed to practice those immoral things annually together with everyone, they resisted the evil and, of course, would not celebrate those annual events with everybody else. That would put them in a... Um, uh, kind of awkward spot and uh, they became an object of uh, uh, um, uh, ridicule and slander later on they were persecuted and some of them were killed uh, so um, trying to appease this that's uh, who Nicolaitans were they were the people this is the name for the people that taught that you can do anything with your body as long as your spirit is pure um, uh, so this church living in one of the most wicked places was able to discern that good is good and evil is evil and not only they were able to draw the margin that this is good and that is bad they were able to stand their ground and say no that's what i will do i will follow the lord and his word and i better die than live an immoral life this is who were this uh, church members in Ephesus. And that's why knowing this, God tells, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and the patience and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. I can only admire these people, these church members, in Ephesus they were indeed victorious it is very important that we are persistent in our godly life we are with God not only once a week but at all times and a scientist once conducted an interesting experiment in his laboratory uh, from the ceiling, he suspended an iron ball weighing a ton. And I was thinking, what kind of lab was that, you know, that would be able to uh, hold a one-ton ball hanging from the ceiling? Not in my pole barn. Anyhow, he, that's what he did. He uh, just suspended that uh, um, iron ball from the ceiling, and uh, right next to it, he suspended another ball, much smaller, in size, a cork ball. You probably understand that the cork and the iron have totally different density and weight. And, you know, uh, in the beginning, once, uh, um, you know, he started swinging the cork ball against the iron, do you think any motion, you could detect any motion, any movement on the iron ball? Nothing. Smaller in size, smaller in uh, weight uh, that produced nothing in the beginning. Now, he attached an, ele an electric mechanism that would uh, continuously swing the cork ball next to the iron ball, and eventually, in a couple of days, 
they were able to see that the iron balls started moving in the same kind of pace, very little in the same pace with the iron, uh, with the cork ball. And later on, they were able to observe even the arch. The endurance has an amazing effect on us. When we endure and we persevere in our good efforts to reach out to those that we love, to pray for those that we love, very soon we will see results. In every church period, I would like to pick up a hero, somebody that we might know as a representative of that church period. And I chose Peter because he lived in that time, and he was the one uh, that had received the message from the Lord himself. You probably remember that as soon as he received the message, uh, follow me, Peter started following Jesus. And he became a perfect man right away. Is that correct? Oh, no. It was just the beginning of a journey. We will read later on that in almost every gospel story where Peter was involved, he found himself in troubles because he would speak before he would think, and that would lead him in all kinds of issues. And finally, it led him to one of the most tragic events in his life when he denied the Lord three times. He wept bitterly after that. He repented, and he was later on the Peter that we know, the one that instructed us in faith. And, you know, to him, Jesus would say, uh, after, he, uh, after, after Peter repented, uh, Jesus would tell him, do you love me? He would ask him, do you love me? And Peter would say, you know I love you. And Jesus would ask, now then, feed my Sheep. And that's who Peter became. He became a pastor, uh, uh, the one who would instruct people that would uh, be on the way to find Jesus as their Savior. And one day, one day, Peter discovered now he's old. He was old. And sure enough, one day, he was arrested for being a Christian leader. He was arrested, and he was in the city of Rome at that time. People around Peter were amazed, and they were noticing that there's something special about this man. And even the soldiers were, were next to Peter, they were able to admire how pious this man was. And somehow they worked out that Peter could run, could run away from a persecution, could run that uh, cell that he was incarcerated in. And uh, Peter was let uh, go free somehow. And on the way out of Rome, that's what the story says, he stopped, turned around, and came back to die with his own people. Before he was crucified, he asked of one thing, please don't crucify me as my master was crucified. I am not worthy of that. And they crucified him with a head down. So these are the people, this kind of people that lived in the first days of Christianity. 
And that's what the church period we are studying when we are reading the message to Ephesus. And uh, this uh, uh, amazing period had so many stories that uh, probably in the whole eternity, we will keep meeting those Christians that w became Christians in those days. And they would tell us story after story how Christ was victorious in their lives. And now let me ask you, if Christ was victorious in a place like Ephesus, do you think Christ can make you victorious, the one that live in Goebbels, in Allegan, or in any other area? Can Christ grant us that victory today and now? Absolutely. Nevertheless, verse 4 says, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Repent and do the works, uh, the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. In all that we do, there has to be a balance, and um, the greatest wisdom is to know where that balance is. And for the people that lived in Ephesus that were trying to stay away from immorality, that were trying to discern and draw a line, a clear line in between good and evil, there was something they lost sight of, and that is the most important. They lost sight of Jesus Christ himself. How can this happen that trying to stay pure for the Lord, you lose sight of the most important, and that is Christ himself? I don't know how that works, but it unfortunately works once in a while. I remember in Soviet Union, we were kind of enclosed country. And um, the church was doing its best to preserve its uh, doctrines and purity and faith and under severe persecutions a lot of church members were standing their ground however i remember that somewhere around 80s our church have faced a crisis a spiritual crisis because staying away from immorality trying to stay pure from all the evil we have lost sight of the most important, and that is the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The messages itself became more legalistic than life-bringing, and praise God that in the mid-80s, somehow the justification by faith message start, started getting through the boundaries, and we were starting getting those books on justification by faith that we are saved only by the grace of God and only Christ can save us not our deeds but Christ alone and his grace is something that saves us it is important to remember the love that brought us to Jesus and we came to Jesus not because we were pure to start with we came to Jesus because we were sinners and we needed Christ and that's what we need to remember. People in Ephesus also had to remember of that great love they are loved with when they came to Christ. An, American, an Armenian nurse 
had been held captive along with her brother by the Turks, and her brother was slain by a Turkish soldier before her eyes. Somehow, she escaped and uh, later on became a nurse in a hospital. One day she was stunned to find that man that killed her brother had been captured and brought wounded to the hospital where she worked as a nurse. Things like that happen. It's work. Now the first thought that came to her heart was revenge for the death of her brother. But the greater voice was telling her, no, love your enemy. And that's what she did. She nursed that wounded soldier to full health. That soldier remembered her. And he asked her one day, why did you do this? Why didn't you kill me like I killed your brother? Why? And that's what she said. Because I serve the one I follow the one who said, love your enemies and do good to them that hate you. Luke 6, 27. She was able, not by emotion, but by principle, to get hold of that everlasting love that God has towards every one of us. You know what the soldier said? He said, I never heard such words before. I want to know more about your God and your faith. In the letter to Ephesus, I can see the analogy of a story that Jesus once told to all of his listeners. If uh, There's three stories in the chapter, chapter of Luke 15. There's three stories there, and they're all about lost humanity. And uh, the last story is about the prodigal son, and that story tells us about the father, the good father that had two sons. One of them asked for the portion of his inheritance, and he um, uh, was the one that acquired that portion of inheritance and wasted it in the foreign land. And there, in the foreign land, later on, being broken, he repented and came back to his father. Now, when he saw his father, he said, Father, I am no longer, I no longer deserve to be called your son, but please accept me in your house so that I could be one of your servants. And what does the father say? Come to me, my son. And he embraces and he hugs the one that wasted um, the part of his inheritance somewhere in a foreign land, the one that was lost, now was found, and that what made the heart of the father happy. Now, uh, the problem is that in the story, there were how many sons? Two sons. The elder son comes back, and he hears the noise, wonders about what the noise is all about. Well, it's about the return of your brother. He was lost, and you know, and so on. Everybody told him, probably in an emotional way, what a joy it is that your brother has returned. Did that bring any good emotion in the brother's heart? No, it actually brought, but the opposite. It was bad emotion. And he was mad at his father up to the point he wouldn't come in. He wouldn't come home. He was tired working all day in the field, and he wouldn't come home because he was so angry. Now his father comes out. You see how father reaches out to every son? So his father comes out. 
of a feast and he finds his son eldest son and this is what his eldest son tell, tells him I was hard working for you all of my life I was uh, doing uh, I was obedient to you all of my life I did this I did that I, I, I did all of that and you never made a feast in my honor as you did in the honor of my brother who by the way wasted all of his possessions somewhere in the poor man now that elder son did he lack hard work endurance or maybe obedience is that what he lacked what did he lack he lacked love and he missed the picture that his father is the loving father that is the greatest mistake he made. He missed the whole point that his father's heart is full of love for the one that was lost and for the one that is obedient. And whoever you are, whatever you are, God wants to remind us with the help of a message to Ephesus, remember the first love. Remember that the main point of following Jesus is in love and that's why Jesus would tell us that this is the new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you a slave in West Indies called Caesar by his master had gained his freedom and also became a Christian. One day, his Lord took him to the slave market and searched for some new slaves. Well, that was slavery time, and it was unfortunately accepted in this day, and that's where the story comes from. Now, after his master made all of the purchases he wanted, his um, friend Caesar, now friend Caesar, asked him, please, sir, you must buy him for me, pointing at the old man. Old black man. So the purchase uh, was made, although the master couldn't understand why do you need this old man. Now, and after the purchase, soon after purchase, and bringing that old man uh, to his master's house, that old man became very ill and sick. And that person named Caesar who gained his freedom nurtured him and uh, looked after that man until he eventually died now one day his master asked him you must somehow be related to this man is he your father tell me is he your father he said no he's not my father is he your relative uncle somehow related to you no he's not related to me in um, uh, that way at all well then probably he must be your friend Oh no, he is not my friend. In fact, he is the man that destroyed my life when I was young. He destroyed my family and sold me into slavery. But I serve my God, he said. And my God commands me to love one another. And I must love this man. And I praise him, God that he gives me strength to love my enemies. 
You know, when Christ talks to us about love, it comes down usually to forgiveness so that we would learn how to forgive one another. Because we are human beings, and we wrong one another every day of our lives. And the one that are closest to you usually hurt you the most once in a while. And it all comes down usually to the matter of forgiveness. And if we haven't learned how to forgive one another, then we haven't really got hold of Christianity yet. And do you know that in this church period, in the church period of Ephesus, many stayed faithful and never denied Jesus Christ their Lord. But as Peter, many were weak and under certain pressure and circumstances, they would deny their Lord. Later on, like Peter, they would cry and would come back to church members that they would receive them. And you know what the church members would tell? Go away. You have denied the Lord. With no forgiveness offered. Do you understand now why? Why God tells one thing I have against you, and that is, please, remember your first love remember love that i love you with christ loved us and forgave us so much and how can we hold something against somebody no matter where we are in life being lost in a foreign land, wasting our possessions or working hard for Jesus. We all need Jesus because he alone can show us the true love. And he says in the book of Revelation that he is Alpha, he is Omega, he is the beginning, he is at the end, his love is all around us, and there is no place in this universe where you can hide from God's love. And I remember that story that took place during World War II when that skipper on that destroyer decided to place himself in between his friend and death. And he died so that his friend and hundreds of other young men could live. But he lost his life. But he knew why he would do that. Because of love, he would do that. And Jesus Christ, when he came in to save us, did he come to save us because it was his duty and out of hard work and duty, Jesus Christ decided to save us? No. It was love for us that brought him here. And he laid his life for us. And then he simply said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. And how did he love us? He laid his life for us. Amen.